The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name's Bill Welker. You are listening to episode number 80, 80 of the podcast. Today is Sunday, February the 11th, and I'm joined all the way from frosty New Jersey by my co-host, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you doing on this Sunday evening, my friend? Bill, I am awesome and bill it's been it's been a little bit warmer up here these last few days but it's also been rainy so everybody's feeling a little lethargic it's like that frozen rain it's like you know the spring is coming but it's still so far away <laughs> so yep. close yet so far it was a it was a nice uh, 84 degrees here in safety harbor florida today so i had to spend some time outside i got to take my daughter to the park and uh, we walked around by the water. Well, she didn't walk, but I walked around by the water. Brought the dog. It was a good time. We had a pretty nice little Sunday uh, to uh, uh, walk off all the booze I inhaled uh, <laughs> over the weekend. Actually, just yesterday, I dove into that stone variety pack I was telling you about last week. Uh, so I definitely want to talk about that. I got one of them with me right now. Uh, I'm, I'm doing the stone ruination double IPA. I think you've had this one before Jeff, uh, because they did, uh, they did a stone tap takeover at the beer spot, which is the place in uh, Fort Lee where Jeff and I used to go grab a cold one after, after some hard training sessions at, uh, at Henzo Gracie Fort Lee. I'm a fan of, of the stone beers. Uh, the variety pack was interesting. Uh, it's all IPAs and, and pale ales. They have one called the Ripper Pale Ale, which was my favorite because it was a little warmer out and the pale ales are a little bit lighter. So it was really it was really kind of refreshing. The, the double IPA that I'm drinking right now, and uh, I'm drinking it out of my... Out of my uh, Yeti container here, so it stays nice and cold throughout the duration of the show. Jeff, it's important that I have a cold beverage while we while we talk through all this MMA action. But the the Ruination Double IPA is nice. It's kind of like a throwback to what IPAs used to be, because we've talked so much, Jeff, about how the IPAs have gotten a lot more mellow over the years and closer to pale ales, a, a lot more drinkable. So this one is a little bit more harsh. So if you're not a fan of really hop forward beers, uh, you might not like it. I definitely enjoy it. If you really like the hop flavor, that kind of like uh, that bitter, piney, citrusy hoppiness, uh, then then this is for you. It, it actually says right on the bottle, a liquid poem to the glory of the hop. And uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, uh, you can see that on the label there. It's got a cool little gargoyle, um, but it's a nice beer. It's a uh, you don't want to pound too many of these, especially on a hot day, because it's about 
8.5% alcohol. Uh, so a couple of these will have you, uh, swimming on concrete. Uh, <laughs> and I'm also doing a little scotch just cause my, my float, my throat's, my float, uh, my throat's a little dry. Um, it's kind of, it was kind of dry, dry night last night cause I had the air conditioner going. So throat's a little scratchy. You got a little scotch going. I'm not going to give them a plug though. Cause they don't sponsor me. Uh, it's not that good anyway. It's just the stuff I drink to, uh, to coat throat here. You know what I'm saying? Jeff, you been sipping on anything in uh, interesting over there, my friend? Uh, no, actually. I, unfortunately, I'm taking it a little bit easier on the booze. Uh, I'm trying to shed a few pounds. So, you know, beer's got a lot of yeast, a lot of uh, calories in it. So I'm trying to take it easy on that, Bill. But I will, I will keep you posted. Uh, I got a couple things in mind. I'm thinking of going back to Dragon's Milk in a few weeks, but uh, right. like I said, I'm working out a little bit more, uh, trying to lose a few pounds. But, Bill, before we get into the MMA talk, um, this week I was able to check out a movie called The Greatest Showman. Okay, since, what's it about? Since I knew, uh, so it's basically about how the Barnum and Bailey Circus got started, mm -hmm. and it's about it follows Barnum's life mostly. And it was, I thought it was good, man. It got some negative reviews coming out of the gate. Is this the uh, musical with Hugh Jackman? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I actually thought it was really good. Uh, the story, I thought, was a little... How do I put this? I felt like they were trying to do too much in two hours. Okay. But the songs are super catchy. Uh, it's, it's a really good... It's got a lot of good messages in it. And uh, I thought it was really enjoyable. Uh, I don't understand the negative reviews, but... I don't get paid to review things, but yeah, dude, if, if you, you know, once your uh, daughter's a little bit older, you want to take her to like a family movie, I would strongly suggest The Greatest Showman. Really enjoyable. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm already kind of falling into that. I, I was watching um, the live action. Uh, I think it's called live action when they bring the cartoons and they, they do them with real actors. Uh, the Beauty and the Beast on Netflix. I was kind of curious, and I was I was sitting there like flipping through Netflix, and I was like, I haven't seen Beauty and the Beast in a long time. Um, I, I guess I'm gonna have to get used to watching this sort of thing. So I put it on. It wasn't bad, Jeff. Um, I, I hadn't heard anything about it, which made me assume that it was terrible. Um, but I thought I thought they adapted it pretty well. Um, the the CGI was was pretty cool. Uh, so that's something I could actually tolerate watching with her, uh, when she's a little bit older, I'm kind of scouting things out because you know how kids get where they find a movie they like and they want to watch it over and over again. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of scouting things out now to find things that I, I could actually stomach to watch or have on in the background, at least while I go on Twitter or, or do something else. Um, so not. Not too terrible. Um, or watch watch Fight Pass on my iPad, which is more likely what I'll be doing. Um, but yeah, you know how kids play the same things over and over. For me, it was uh, it was the Wizard of Oz. That's what I used to torture my babysitters with. I would watch it if I was getting babysat for um, you know four or five hours. I'd watch it three times. Uh, <laughs> uh, did did you have a movie like that when you were growing up, Jeff? I'm trying to remember. I think for me, it was probably uh, this Pokemon movie. 
because I, I was a big Pokemon fan growing up. So it was it was one of those movies. Now they all kind of feel like they've gotten worse with age. But uh, I think it was probably like the first Pokemon movie came out in like 99 or, or 2000. Maybe I'm getting the year wrong, but I think that was it. Once it came out on VHS, Bill, it was game over. All right, I'm starting to feel my age here, Jeff. So let's get into some MMA with that. So UFC 221 from uh, Perth, Western Australia. It was uh, the UFC's first time in Perth, and they actually broke the the gate record for a sporting event in the arena, uh, in, in the Perth arena. Uh, so it was headlined by Yoel Romero and Luke Rockhold, um, who, who were both supposed to be fighting at middleweight for the interim middleweight championship but unfortunately yoel romero missed weight by three pounds i'll get back to that this became the main event when robert whitaker had to pull out due to a staph infection that was basically eating his insides which sounds really horrible and i don't know what the recovery time would be for something like that i would imagine it has to be pretty lengthy but i thought we were left with um, a very suitable substitute in a main event. So let's start with Romero missing weight. He missed by three pounds, which uh, you and I talked about this because we're both big, big advocates against guys missing weight. Uh, I think it's unprofessional. I think it's disrespectful to your opponent and to the audience, to the fans, everything like that. All that being said, Yoel Romero did step up and take this fight on short notice, and he took it overseas. So taking a fight on short notice and traveling all the way around the globe, I, I think you got to give him a little bit of rope, a little bit of slack on the leash for this one. I don't know if you give him three pounds of slack because that's quite a bit. Um. You know, in this day and age, especially if you're ranked up in the top three, you got to be prepared at all times to step in for an injured fighter in case you get a title shot. So, unfortunately for Romero, he doesn't get the belt, which kind of puts a bottleneck on this division. We don't know when Robert Whitaker is coming back, and you can't really give you all Romero a title shot now because he missed weight or can you, I don't know. Uh, what were your thoughts on this as the main event, Jeff? And what were your thoughts on Romero missing weight? And where do we go from here? Yeah, Bill, I think you can give your Romero a little bit of slack. I know three pounds is a lot, but, um, you know, he, this was super short notice and people were saying, you know, he was going to fight, What's his name? Uh, David Branch. And that's the reason why he should have made weight. But that fight wasn't on this card. That was still a few weeks down the line. So I think we can give Romero a little bit of slack here. And, dude, that performance was nuts. Uh, you called it last week, Bill. You said if this ended in a finish, it would probably be in the third round. That's when we see Romero explode. And, uh, unfortunately for Luke Rockhold's chin, it happened early into the third round. Um, it was interesting, man. Because the first round, Romero looked super calm in there. He looked like he'd done this a million times. He's playing a little... It looked to me like he was kind of playing with Luke Rockhold. 
he was standing in front of him, waving his arms and, you know, throwing stuff, but not really. It looked like he wasn't throwing it with purpose. And you saw him winging his left hand. It was crazy. It was like a windmill punch or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nothing serious. Then the second round, he comes out with this storm, this flurry of shots. Luke Rockhold's kind of shell-shocked a little bit. Romero starts digging into the body, but he doesn't go crazy. He starts picking his shots. And then after that, he kind of calms down and, you know, rests, recharges a little bit. And then in the third round, lands this overhand left that just devastates Rockhold, puts him down. After that first shot, it looked like he didn't know where he was, Rockhold. And then Romero follows it up with a low uppercut, and the ref stopped it right there. I thought it was a really good stoppage. Um, the only thing I didn't like about the finish was after the fact, Romero went up and got in Luke Rockhold's face, and he's saying, you know, I love you, Luke, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. I need Jesus or whatever. And... My only problem with that was, you know, I don't think Rockhold was being rude because Rockhold kept looking away. Rockhold probably didn't know where he was. He probably thought he was still training for this fight. Um, so that was my only uh, little bugaboo about it. You know, Romero you probably should have let him recover a little bit before saying all that nice stuff. I love you. I love <laughs> you, Rockhold. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was very awkward. I thought, and, and nobody's trying to get in between these guys. I, I <laughs> I'm thinking like Rockhold's gonna hit him or something because we know he's a sore loser. When he lost to Bisbang, he was so sour. Uh, from the press conference, he's like, "Yeah, what can I say? Bisbang's a dick." And you know, credit to him, he got lucky, lucky shot. Um. I don't know how I would feel about that if I just got my lights turned off and then a giant Cuban man's in my face. I love you. I love you, Rocco. I love you. Uh, <laughs> but um, something else I want to point out, uh, uh, I like your description of the finish. Uh, with that last shot, he fucking stapled Rockhold's face to the post. Uh, he He really belted him with one and sent his the back of his head into the post that that's kind of what i was worried about watching this but something else i want to point out romero broke his leg in the first round i don't know if you know this jeff he had to be transported to the hospital immediately after the fight so he was still able to generate that kind of explosion on a broken leg and i also feel that rockholds camp maybe didn't do their research because as i was saying last week the third round is when Romero tends to explode. He will give rounds away and he will lull you into a false sense of security. And he's always done this, even as uh, even as an Olympic wrestler. He would give away rounds in wrestling, which uh, you know, points aren't easy to come by in wrestling. And then he would go for an explosion later in the match once his opponent was tired. Uh, it's it's a pretty standard strategy by the uh, Cuban Olympic wrestlers. A lot of them employ that strategy and it works for them. They're, you know, by far one of the, the best countries for wrestling in the world. And they proved that uh, in, in countless wrestling competitions and the Olympics as well. So it, it really speaks to the explosive power Rome, uh, Romero's able to generate doing it on one leg against a guy like Luke Rockhold uh, who's a much bigger uh, middleweight was was very impressive, but 
again, like I said last week, Rockhold also tends to hold his hands down low, which did not uh, bode so well for him last night. So any, any thoughts on any of that, Jeff? Yeah, I agree uh, on all accounts, especially the whole Rockhold holding his hands up thing. Uh, he looked good in the first round. Then in that third round, he was looking uh, like his hands were a little bit lower. I would have liked to see him keep going for that leg because those leg kicks were really working for him early on. Um, but, yeah, dude, Rockhold, he's just so cocky, man. And if he hasn't learned at this point, um, I don't know what to tell the guy. Um, he's a he's a really good fighter, man. But, you know, he, he just assumes that he's God's gift to MMA. And then this is the second time in his last three fights that he's been knocked out. So, yeah, um, I, I, and I mean he's been knocked out by by top level guys, and I mean, Bisbing was the champion, and Romero obviously has been at the top for a while, and he's a super powerful guy. Uh, he's knocked out most people he's been in there with in the UFC. I didn't see Rockhold being susceptible to that flying knee just because Rockhold doesn't shoot for takedowns. When he takes guys down, he wraps them up with body locks uh, and does more jujitsu style takedowns. He's not hes not a traditional wrestler. He's not going to shoot for a double leg or try to scoop up a single. Uh, he's going to body lock and drag you to the ground. So I didn't see him uh, getting caught with one of those knees, but yeah, the punches for sure. And then everything he threw at Romero seemed to kind of bounce off of him, which, uh, you know, I kind of thought if Rockhold didn't win this fight, maybe he would consider moving up to 205 since his teammate or former teammate, for all I know, Daniel Cormier is moving up to heavyweight, and who knows what's going to happen with him after that. Rockhold is a big, big middleweight, and he's hitting that stage in his life uh, that I'm at where it's much more difficult to drop weight He's about 33, 34. So he is going to have to move up eventually. And I I don't, I, at first I thought it would be a great idea, but after seeing his strikes kind of bounce off of Romero like that, I, I don't know if 205 is really the place for him. And I don't know what happens with this division either. I think if Whitaker comes back, I think you could justify giving the shot to Jacare. Um, I think he, he definitely proved that he's worthy of a title shot. He's, he hasn't missed weight. If Whitaker is not going to be back for a while, I think you have to do a rematch between Romero and Jacare. And if Romero is able to make weight and win that fight, then you give him the title shot. Uh, the first time they fought was really close fight. A lot of people thought Jacare won. Uh, Romero got the split decision. So I think that's probably the way to go. If Whitaker's not able to come back. Um, we spent a lot of time on this. Any, uh, final thoughts on this fight or what's next in the middleweight division, Jeff? Yeah, man, it's a little wonky right now. We don't know how long Whitaker is going to be out for. He's already been out for a while. Um, he's had a string of bad luck, man, but I, uh, I really think, that when he comes back, I personally think that Romero should get the shot because it was pretty close when he fought Whitaker as well. Um, I think that when you give him some time, I think he can make the weight. But anyway, I think we can move on a little bit. Uh, once we find out more about Whitaker's status, we can talk a little bit more about it. But speaking of those body locks that you were talking about with Rockhold, 
the takedowns were working a lot for the co-main event winner, which was Curtis Blades mm -hmm. against Mark Hunt. And what did you think of this, Bill? I think that this was pretty straightforward. He went with Brock Lesnar's strategy. What do you think? Do you think there was anything Hunt could have done a little differently? Uh, no. And I think this was the best performance we've seen from Curtis Blades by far. He's been impressive, and he's had some some nasty knockouts. But I this is the first time we saw him face Real adversity. Of course, he has a loss to Francis Ngannou, but that was a doctor stoppage. Um, we saw him get rocked by Mark Hunt. He took some clean shots on the chin, and he was able to compose himself, get the takedown, and hold Mark Hunt down, which is no easy task. Usually, Mark Hunt is able to spring back up, which is what he did in the first round, but... Curtis Blades just wore on him, and he didn't give up on his game plan. And I always think it's incredible when guys are able to hold people down at this high of a level. A lot of people will complain about the performance, especially fans of Mark Hunt, which uh, was pretty much everyone in the arena last night since it was so close uh, to his home country of New Zealand. Uh, a lot of Mark Hunt supporters in the crowd, I'm sure. But... Uh, I, I always hate the argument that, you know, wins not impressive because the guy just held him down the entire time. I always say, have you ever tried to hold down a grown man or a professional athlete who doesn't want to be held down? Not as easy as it looks, especially someone like Mark Hunt, who is known for having great takedown defense and being able to spring back up. I think he just got worn out by a younger stronger hungrier fighter uh, that's the bottom line if i were curtis blades i would probably be asking for that nganu rematch especially after nganu's grappling has been exposed by stipe i definitely think that curtis has the wrestling and the grappling to wear down francis especially in a three-round fight so if i were him he didn't want to call anybody out he said he didn't feel like he deserved it He's a little bit awkward on the microphone, but he definitely has the skills to be a top five heavyweight. I don't think he's ready for a top five caliber guy, except for Francis Ngannou. I wouldn't put Curtis in there with a Verdum or with a, a Junior Del Santos or anything like that, or definitely not Stipe. But if I were him, I'd be asking for that Ngannou rematch. And I don't know what's next for Mark Hunt. He'll always be a draw as long as he wants to fight because there's always the possibility of that one-punch knockout, uh, walk-off knockout. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I was really impressed with Curtis Blades. His takedowns were so well-timed. Uh, he figured out Mark Hunt's timing pretty quickly, uh, which must have been super hard, especially after almost getting – knocked out in the first round he, he took some really hard shots and i i was really impressed like i said and honestly bill i kind of want to see curtis blades take on ty tuivasa that would be a great one too so tuivasa looked awesome last night with the elbows from hell all over cyril asker's face that was a violent performance uh, i really loved how he he wound up on those elbows and then when Asker covered up, he worked the body or he buttered up the body, as he said. I knew if I buttered up the body. <laughs> uh, 
This is just the episode of uh, of horrible accents. Yeah. I love you. I love you. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was uh, one of the most impressive performances of the night. Any other thoughts on the Tiovasa Asker fight? This is the one you got me excited about last week, Jeff, because you pointed it out. And uh, I was looking forward to it when it started. But I had a bad feeling about it when I saw Cyril Asker about to get into the cage. And I just had this feeling like, oh, no. I don't know what it was, but I, I just knew something bad was going to happen to him. And, uh, yeah, that that wound up coming true. Uh, any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, dude. I thought Tai Tuivasa looked awesome in there. The only problem I have is what happened afterwards. He, I don't know if you saw this, Bill, but he chugged a beer out of somebody's shoe, <laughs> which from the crowd, which sounds fucking disgusting dude oh god um and then during the uh post-fight press conference he kept whining about how he didn't get a fight of the night bone i mean a ko bonus or performance of the night and the whole time he was like somebody give me fifty thousand dollars see the main event knockout i mean i i don't think tuivas was gonna top that but dude Super impressed with this guy. I look forward to seeing him again. I'd love to see him get it on with Curtis Blades. I think that could be the headliner for a fight night at some point. But, uh, yeah, dude, Tuivasa's young. He's only 24. He's got two really impressive KOs in the UFC already. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, that would be a great fight, Blades and Tuivasa. I think that would be great. As far as the shoe, uh, I'm not mad at it, Jeff. Uh, I Maybe it was a brand new shoe that somebody brought, and maybe it's an Australian thing that they drink beer out of shoes. The more I'm talking this through out loud, the more it seems like a horrible idea, no matter what the case. But, um, hey, it, you know, if you need a cold beer after knocking somebody the fuck out, and and the closest one happens to be in a <laughs> in a pair of Adidas, what are you gonna do? You know. <laughs> maybe it was a maybe it was a stone IPA in that shoe, Jeff. That changes everything. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of bonuses, uh, well deserving of the fight of the night bonus was Jake Matthews and Jingliang Li. Uh, I thought my my thought on Jingliang Li was that the UFC is trying to build him up for the uh, the Chinese market, and. Jake Matthews is a tough guy, don't get me wrong, but I, I really do believe that the UFC uh, wants to make a star out of Jing Liang Li uh, to, to build up that, that market in China. I, I don't know how right I am on that, but uh, that's kind of what I thought. But what an awesome fight. Just so back and forth. Uh, the grappling of Jake Matthews was really high level, and every time it looked like uh, Lee was down and out, he would come back with a big strike. And uh, and put Matthews down. Uh, I I thought this was awesome. Definitely the most entertaining fight of the night in, in my book. Uh, even the main event, even though it ended really in exciting fashion, the, the fight itself was a little bit dry. This I thought from bell to bell was an awesome fight. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill. Super impressed with both of these guys. And dude, Jin Liang's a tough dude, man. I thought Matthews was going to finish him a few times. And, you know, Jing Liang and his, and that, uh, what do you call it? That wrecking ball of a head he has. 
just was able to take punishment and take shots. So very impressed with both of these guys. I'd love to see them rematch sometime in the future. The only thing that bothered me, Bill, was in the first round, Matthews had this tight guillotine locked up, and Jing Liang went and put two fingers right into Matthews' eyeball. It looked like he was trying to grab hold of the mm. eyeball. That was my only problem. I thought he should have lost the point for that. Yeah, yeah, I I do remember that now. I I forgot about that until you brought it up. But yeah, that was that was pretty awful. the The other thing with that though is Matthews was leaning to the wrong side with that guillotine, so he was using his right arm and he was leaning to the left, and his elbow uh, was pointed up, and he would want to have that elbow pointing to his right and trying to touch his his right elbow to his ribs uh to to finish that um but yeah for sure he probably could have tapped him with that if he wasn't getting his eyeball ripped out so uh excellent point uh, on that one uh a submission that did get finished was a really nice uh kimura by tyson pedro against saperbeck safarov uh and i believe what was the main card opener so tyson pedro looked awesome and uh, he he got this off of a uh, off of a takedown defense. So it's it's a pretty common arm lock uh, to use in a takedown defense. And it was the kind of Kimura that probably could have been rolled out of, but Safarov's legs were trapped up against the cage, and he had nowhere to roll. It looked extremely painful. Um, I was screaming at the TV to just tap. It looked like he could have ripped his arm out of the socket. Really impressive jujitsu by Tyson Pedro. And I hope Safarov's arm is okay. Uh, did you catch this one, Jeff? Yeah, I did. And you took the words right out of my mouth. I thought that Tyson Pedro was going to rip his arm clean off. I think the fact that he went back into the cage kind of helped Safarov because uh, it kept his arm kind of controlled. It didn't go flying into the air or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, dude, it looked – the landing was a little awkward. I, I thought somebody was going to get hurt just off him, just off Pedro trying the move. Uh -huh. um, it, it looked a little – because it was just so explosive and so out of nowhere. But, uh, you know, nice finish for Pedro. Hope Safarov's shoulder is okay. But, yeah, dude, super impressed. Yeah, and Pedro is a guy who came in with a lot of hype behind him, uh, which is definitely what that weight class needs, uh, the 205-pound weight class. Only lost in the UFC to Alir Latifi, no shame in that, and it, he went to distance with him. So uh, big things in the future for this kid. I think uh, he's very well-rounded. He's got some great skills. He's got a bunch of submission finishes. So uh, definitely looking forward to him fighting again and moving his way up this uh, very empty light heavyweight division. It's good to have some fresh blood in there for sure. A nice uh, young 26 year old kid uh, working his way up there. So for the sake of time, Jeff, cause I know you have a lot of other things you want to talk about. Is there anything else on this card that jumped out to you? Uh, nothing on the undercard really piqued my interest. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky with a, a TKO in the second round. That was that was pretty good. And a couple of other finishes in there. But uh, anything else before we move on? 
Yeah, just one more fight that stood out to me in the prelims on uh, Fox Sports 1 was Israel Adesanya uh, when he beat Rob Wilkinson because this fight was so crazy. Uh, Wilkinson came out, he was really explosive with his shots and went for a takedown at one point and Adesanya rolled to avoid the takedown and somehow he ended up tossing Rob Wilkinson into the air under him. And in the second round, uh, Adesanya was super patient, super calm, and just TKO'd him with elbows and strikes while he was standing. So I was really impressed with him. Uh, some people were saying that he looks like a young John Jones, which I kind of agree with. Um, facially, they look really alike. And, you know, Adesanya, he looks so calm for somebody making his UFC debut. I was really impressed with this guy. Awesome. I'm going to have to go back and watch that one. Hopefully... If Adesanya is anything like John Jones, he doesn't have a driver's license. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on, Jeff, because I know you have a a barrage of topics you want to get into, and uh, I'm excited to get into them because you kind of ran them by me before we started. So let's go, Jeff. The the ball is in your court, my friend. All right. Nico Montano saying that Paige Van Zant and Valentina Shevchenko don't deserve a shot at her title. And Bill, I actually threw a fit when I read this. I, I started texting about it. Yeah. I agree with Paige. I don't think she deserves a title shot yet, but Valentina Shevchenko has been tearing it up in the women's bantamweight division before anybody even knew who Nico Montano was. So I think she needs to slow her roll there just a little bit. Yeah, my initial reaction when you texted me, can you believe what Nico Montano said? Was who? Uh, <laughs> um, I I I wouldn't be. I I mean, here's a girl. She went through the Ultimate Fighter, and and like you said, she was able to win because uh, the the girl she was supposed to fight couldn't make weight. I wouldn't think it would be entirely criminal if you just declared Valentina Shevchenko the flyweight champion. <laughs> and I don't think anybody would notice or argue. Um, I think pound for pound, she's one of the best fighters, male or female, on the roster. Just She's so well-rounded, and her striking is so vicious, and her ground and pound is so nasty. Like the Her ground and pound is on the level of of a Khabib. It was, it was that vicious in her last fight against uh, Priscilla and her striking is on the, on a level with uh, a Yuani on J chick. Um, so I I'm, I'm so impressed with Valentina Shevchenko and I have been for a long time, her composure and her attitude and everything, um, you know, sort of a couple of losses to Amanda Nunez, which were, really close decisions you could even argue that valentina uh maybe won that last fight i know we disagreed on this one jeff and i, I might have been a little biased because i i am a big fan of, of valentina but no shame in uh in decision losses to a champion like amanda nunez for sure but with wins over uh the likes of holly Holm, uh i, I feel like valentina shevchenko flies under a lot of people's radar and I think we need to do our best to get people on on board with the on board the Shevchenko train here. So, uh, what's the next topic you got here? 
Yeah, Bill, and I think you're right. I think that before we move on, just one last thing. I think you're right. I think, uh, and I actually texted this to you. I think that if Yara Eubanks could have made weight, I think she beat Nico Montano. She ran through that competition. But um, next topic is UFC 222. Sadly, our main event has been changed. Max Holloway's out. He was super disappointed that he couldn't fight. But, Bill, I think that the main event in place of it. I think it's good. I think that it's saving the card and Frankie Edgar's new opponent. I think it's an awesome matchup, but what do you think, Bill? Yeah, I don't know about saving the card. Maybe for hardcore fans, people who watch week after week, but I think the card is definitely going to suffer in terms of the turnout for the casual fan. Just because Max Holloway really has a lot of momentum behind him, I feel like he's starting to become a fan favorite and he's starting to become a big draw who could potentially draw in that casual viewer, that elusive casual viewer that's so hard to bring in. Uh, this is a dream fight for a lot of really hardcore fans, but I don't think it goes beyond that. Brian Ortega is still very much an unknown fighter to anyone who does not watch this sport on at least a bi-weekly basis. Yeah, he has a big win over Cub Swanson, but I still don't feel like that his recognition is on par with his skill set or even close to it. I think for that reason, it's also a very risky fight for Frankie Edgar, who was about to get a title shot, and now... He's taking a chance against a very dangerous and undefeated Brian Ortega. That being said, the matchup skill for skill is very interesting to me because Brian Ortega has some very nasty, unorthodox jujitsu. Frankie Edgar has unbelievable jujitsu defense, awesome wrestling, and he has incredible footwork. I think his striking is a couple of steps ahead of where Brian Ortega is in his skill set. And I don't think the fight will go to the ground unless Frankie wants it there. And Frankie may take Brian down just to prove a point, just to beat him up from inside his guard. And uh, I see Frankie trying to take him down late in the rounds and doing some punishment there and making a statement that he can't submit him and breaking him down because that's what Frankie Edgar does. If Brian Ortega is able to win this fight, I think it will be by pulling off a slick submission, maybe even pulling guard. I don't think he could strike with Frankie Edgar at this point in his career, uh, but I think he has a lot of developing to do, and he probably will be able to one day. Uh, but very dangerous for Frankie Edgar. That's the most important point I want to make. Uh, and you have to respect Frankie Edgar because... Here he is with a title shot in his hand. He could sit back and wait, but instead he's taking on one of the most dangerous up-and-comers, not only in the division, but on the roster itself. Uh, what do you think about all that, Jeff? I know I just threw a lot of information at you at once. Yeah, dude, I agree with you. I think that Frankie Edgar taking this uh, Brian Ortega fight is a really risky decision, but I think Frankie Edgar is good enough where he can win you know, we've seen him destroy Cub Swanson. We've seen him demolish Uriah Faber. 
Um, and, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to Brian Ortega, too, for stepping in. He could have said, hell no, I'm fighting Frankie Edgar, which no one, I don't think anybody would blame him for. Um, and Frankie Edgar, too, for taking the fight. And, you know, this is going to be the co-main event. I failed to mention that the new main event for UFC 222 is going to be Chris Cyborg versus a Russian fighter who I, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I think she's undefeated in Invicta. Um, dude, credit to this fighter because I don't know anything about her. And to be taken on Cyborg is a really tall order. I think Cyborg is vicious. I think that, you know... She's a uh, not a lot of people are lining up to fight Cyborg right now. Yeah, especially since now we're seeing not only a vicious Cyborg but a tactical one. In her last performance against Holly Holm, she really showed a lot of strategy and a lot of composure in there, which uh, <clears throat> is saying a lot because she is a fighter who, for a lot of her career, relied on straight savagery and just out muscling girls and and demolishing them and walking through them. But now you're seeing a cyborg who is actually coming in there with a game plan and sticking to it. Uh, I want to add to your point about Frankie Edgar by saying that he's also done this in the past and taken a risk in fighting a young up and coming fighter by the name of Yair Rodriguez. And he fucking smashed him. Uh, he made Yair look like he belongs back in the minor leagues. And he made the statement that there are levels to this game and, uh, you have to love Frankie Edgar because he'll fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. He's just one of those guys. And uh, that's why he'll go down as one of the all-time greats. All right, what's the next topic you got in the docket here, Jeff? All right, Bill. So now I wanted to talk about the UFC's bantamweight division because Cody Garbrandt is throwing a temper tantrum about how he should fight TJ for the title in a rematch. But TJ Dillashaw is saying that, no, he had to wait two years after losing to Dominic Cruz before he got his rematch, uh, his title shot. Mm -hmm. And I actually agree with TJ here. Not so much on, you know, the fact that he had to wait two years uh, because he beat some top-level guys. He beat Rafael Sunsau and John Lineker. But, before Cody beat Dominic Cruz, he was unranked heading into that title fight. And second, he didn't even defend the title. He lost it his first time out. So I think he needs to get back in line. I think he needs to go through a couple of top guys before uh, knocking on the door for the title shot. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame Cody for asking for it because he has made a name for himself. I think that fight would be a big draw. But... I think it needs a little bit more time to marinate. I know he wants to get his revenge right away, but I, I agree with you, and I, I side with TJ on this one. It, it would be unfair that since he had to wait to get his title shot again, that uh, Cody, even though he lost in more devastating fashion, would get one right away. Wouldn't really be right. The other thing about it is TJ Dillashaw just had a baby, which I can certainly empathize with, and... Uh, they, the proposal was for him to take a fight on four weeks notice with Cody Garbrandt. So obviously if he just had a baby, he's not training like he's in a fight camp. I, I can tell you that much for sure. Um, and he's really vying for that mighty mouse fight in July, I believe, which would be a much better timeline for him. 
I can speak from experience, Jeff. He's not sleeping enough right now uh, <laughs> to be getting in there with Cody Garbrandt or anybody of that caliber. <clears throat> and then the other thing I wanted to touch on was there was a rumor that Cody Garbrandt would be stepping in to fight Frankie Edgar, which I thought would be a phenomenal fight just because it's one of those fights where these these guys are so high level and their skills mirror each other so well. They're both great boxers with incredible head movement and footwork, and they're both really strong wrestlers. So the question would be who would get the better on the feet, and if one of them didn't get the better on the feet, would they be able to take the other one down? And if they were able to take him down, would they be able to hold him there? All those things combined make for such an intriguing matchup for me. Uh, the Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar fight intrigues me for a completely different set of reasons, uh, which we already went over. But yeah, I'm on the same page with you, Jeff. I don't think Garbrandt should be getting a title shot right away, but it's unfortunate that this division had so much momentum. And a lot of the wins came out of the sales when Cody and TJ weren't able to fight right at the end of the Ultimate Fighter filming because there was just so much tension. And even though it was still awesome when the fight did finally come together, it was kind of like, uh, I was looking forward to this so much and I was let down. And uh, I feel like that's been the story of the bantamweight division for a while. Uh, we need a little bit of consistency there. So it would be great to see that develop. Um, what else you got, Jeff? Anything else? Yeah, Bill, I was just going to add one last thing to this before we move into our last topic. Yep. Is I actually think that in the meantime, I would kind of want to see Cody fight Marlon Moraes. Moraes. Yep. Um, I think that would be a really interesting matchup, uh, you know, while he's waiting for TJ to recover. And uh, I, I think he had some type of surgery. But uh, while he waits for TJ, I think I'd like to see that. That would be interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the UFC would take that chance. I think it would be a great fight to watch, but Marais is dangerous. And I know the UFC doesn't want to get Cody Garbrandt back in there with TJ Dillashaw because that's a very marketable fight. You know, they have their built-in drama and everything like that. I feel like that fight needs to happen again, and the UFC is going to make sure of it. Putting Cody Garbrandt in a fight with like a Frankie Edgar wouldn't be as risky because he'd be moving up a weight class to do that. So even if he lost there, you could still kind of justify that he didn't lose his spot at bantamweight. But if you put him in there against the relatively unknown Marlon Marais, who hardcore fans have known who this guy was for the longest time, and he might have been off to a little bit of a slow start coming into the UFC, but after his last performance against Aljamain Sterling, he might have some momentum they could build a good highlight reel for him but there's also the language barrier problem there where uh at the end of the day the fighters who don't speak english and talk trash in english more importantly are not as marketable so if you risk putting cody garbrandt in there against a guy like marais and he loses you you potentially lose a lot of money because he'll lose his spot in line to get back to tj and and that's a big fight to build up now, all that being said, I would love to see that fight. And <laughs> um, you know, I got I got two sides of my brain, Jeff. There's there's the fighting side and the fight fan side, and there's the marketing side. And I always try to look at things from both perspectives. So um there you have both of those perspectives, Jeff. 
Yeah, Bill. So here's the last topic. What do you and you can tell me how marketable this is? Uh, a lot. Everybody's been talking. It's already been made official. Daniel Cormier is going to come back to heavyweight to fight Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight championship, I believe, this summer. So what do you think, Bill? What do we got here? I love it. Uh, I've been advocating for this fight, I think, from the moment Daniel Cormier beat Vulcan Ozdemir. First of all, the problem is you had to give Vulcan Ozdemir a title shot at light heavyweight because there's nobody else there. Now you have kids like Tyson Pedro coming up. You could put the light heavyweight division on pause for a little bit. You know, you have Alexander Gustafson, whatever's going on with him, injuries or he doesn't want to fight, whatever uh, whatever the reason is he's not fighting this week. Um, and, you know, you just need some fresh blood in there. So while the super fights and mixing divisions is usually a bad thing, I think it's a good thing in this case because that light heavyweight division is just so empty right now i think they need to go out just put it on hold for a little while press pause let's build that division up and you have a really interesting fight between two of the best fighters in history stipe miocic some people are arguing the best heavyweight of all time i'm not mad at that argument at all daniel cormier obviously one of the best light heavyweights of all time undefeated as a heavyweight he won the Strike Force Grand Prix, uh, which as a heavyweight, and he was a last minute replacement. They stuck him into the bracket at the last minute. He went and won the whole thing, beat Josh Barnett. Um, you know, Daniel Cormier's resume is actually really fucking impressive. Uh, it's a shame that it it has that one dark cl- cloud hanging over it named John Jones, but. Uh, Cormier, I, I don't think it'll be a size problem whatsoever because Cormier walks around probably the same size as Stipe. Uh, Stipe is somewhere in the two forties. I wouldn't be surprised if Cormier is walking around at that, you know, two days after he fought Ozdemir. I think it's a really interesting fight because, uh, Cormier's boxing is, I don't want to say underrated because he's, he's a good striker. Stipe obviously has great power and we saw in his last fight, he showed off his wrestling. So I would be interesting to see the grappling exchanges between these two. We've seen Cormier toss around heavyweights like they were nothing. Um, but he's also aging. So this fight really intrigues me. I think it's great, uh, for both divisions. There's not a lot going on at heavyweight either. Uh, it's kind of thin at the top and Stipe has fought, uh, all of the top guys already. So they can all wait in line. And the most important thing, like I said, is is hitting pause on the light heavyweight division so we can kind of build that up and get some more talent in there. What are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I am so excited for this. I think that both of these guys have great skill sets. And like I said before, I really like DC striking. Uh, I feel like people don't appreciate it as much because he's kind of short for a heavyweight slash light heavyweight, but he can he can throw hands, man. And I'd love to see him get on with Stipe. I, I want to see who wins on the feet, and then I want to see if Stipe can handle DC's wrestling because this guy was the captain of the Olympic American wrestling team. So he's no slouch, man. And like you said, DC's got an awesome resume. Um you know, unfortunately, there's a couple of hiccups in there. But, I mean, if if you look at his resume as a whole, he's had 
a star-studded career. He's beaten the best guys. Um, like you said, he's ragdolled them. I mean, some of the highlights that are still playing, at least in my head, are of him throwing Dan Henderson around. Dan Henderson, who's also been on the Olympic team for wrestling. So, dude, this fight is its going to be awesome. I think it's an awesome fight to have in the summer when there's not, like, football going on. There's not too much baseball. It's just getting started. So I think this is an awesome fight to put on. Yeah, agreed. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so that that's really exciting. And it's its one of those things where it's, like, so far away that you can look forward to it, which I kind of miss about MMA. Uh, you know, we've been talking about this recently, how – it's so saturated now there's fight cards every weekend you don't really have that big fight that that's so far off that you can get excited for it a long time in advance i feel like i'm i'm in such a week-to-week mode where i have to constantly look at well what's coming up next weekend i haven't been excited for a fight in the long term for a while i i couldn't tell you the date of a fight that wasn't next week uh, for the longest time but speaking of which, there's a great transition to Fight Night 126 from Austin, Texas, which makes me wonder if our boy Money Blakeweather from the Loaded Joe's MMA podcast is going to be live in attendance for this one uh, since he lives out in Austin. Headlined by Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Yancey Medeiros. Uh, I've been a big proponent of Yancey Medeiros for a long time. This kid is so exciting. Uh, when he fights, he's coming off one of the best fights of the year in his last performance against another cowboy, uh, <laughs> um, Oliveira. That, that fight was just insane. So back and forth. And Madero's, of course, getting the KO victory in the third round. And then Cowboy Cerrone, always a big draw. I'm a little bit concerned after the beating he took from Darren Till in October that he's getting back in there so quickly. Uh, he likes to stay active, and that's the way he feels more comfortable. But Cowboy, you have to admire his drawing power because he's coming off three straight losses, and he's headlining a fight night. And there are not a lot of people who can do that, but Cowboy is one of those personalities who you know, people just want to watch him fight. So I think this is an outstanding matchup, a really exciting main event, especially for a fight night. And you got a pretty solid card supporting it. Derek Lewis and Marcin Tibora should be a really interesting fight. Uh, we'll see how much Derek Lewis really wants to get back in there because he's kind of given mixed thoughts about, you know, whether or not he wants to keep fighting. He almost retired after his last fight. Um, so we'll see how that goes. James Vick finally getting back in there against Francisco Trinaldo. That should be an exciting fight. Tiago Alves, I could care less because this is the guy who just like keeps reappearing for some reason. And then you got Sage Northcutt and uh, Tybalt Guti hanging out on this card too. Uh, pretty solid card for a free fight night. Uh, any thoughts on this main event, Jeff, or uh, any other fights that kind of rattled off there? Yeah, dude. Yancy Medeiros is a scary guy, man. So Donald Cerrone, you know, pretty dangerous in his own right, really well-rounded. So I'm excited for this one. Uh, I want to see how their skills match up. And I'm also interested to see Sage Northcutt again. Uh, it's been a while. He's been kind of quiet. I want to see if he's focused a little bit more on the ground game because we know he has the striking down to a science. Um, and like you said, man, Derek Lewis, he said that um, – 
after he wins his next fight, he's going to ask where's Ngannou's tired ass at. So I'm excited, <laughs> excited to hear that. I, um, yeah, I hope he does call him out. That would be great. That would be an awesome fight. Yeah, dude, I don't see that fight going past the first round. So, yeah, dude, this this uh, card fight looks really good uh, considering that it is a, a free fight night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, if our boy Blake is there live in person, we got to – we got to have him on the show pretty soon, which I've been talking to Blake lately, and I was saying we got to do something together again. It's been too long. Uh, so we got to get our buddy back on here. All right. Uh, any final thoughts, Jeff? We covered a lot today. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did. But, uh, you know, last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, everybody have a nice week, I guess. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> Well, Jeff, thanks for all the uh, topics today. I had a good time with this episode. Uh, if you have any commentary on the topics Jeff brought up, you can reach him on Twitter at animal underscore Wilson. And, of course, you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks, all your favorite social media platforms. So shoot us a line. Don't be shy. We like to talk. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking. I, myself, am going to go grab another Ruination double IPA so I can prepare for a night of not sleeping. Until next week, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.